This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Welcome back to the Knowledge of Wharton podcast. I'm Rachel Kipp, Associate Editorial Director of the Knowledge of Wharton website. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the nature of research breakthroughs and how they compete for attention. Wharton management professor Anoop Menon's latest paper looks at millions of research publications from the 1970s to the 1990s to gain insights about how ideas spread. Anoop, thanks for being here. Thank you, Rachel, for having me. Now, previously, you were here with us once before to talk a little bit about the nature of breakthroughs, specifically in the space industry. Absolutely. And this latest paper actually looks more at research in the life sciences. Mm-hmm. Could you talk a little bit about what was the inspiration for this paper? Absolutely. Um, the inspiration comes from, I guess, the observation <laughs> that time and time again, we see great, really novel ideas come out in terms of just the raw quality of the idea, but then nobody picks it up. It makes no impact, no splash. It just gets lost sitting somewhere on a shelf. So I was really intrigued along with my co-author here, Sen Chai, who's a professor at ESSEC, the ESSEC Business School in France. We were really fascinated by that question. Like, why do some ideas get picked up while while others do not, even if the quality is very comparable? And so that's what got us started. And within that stream, um, this would be the stream on the spread and recognition of ideas, not the creation, but the spread of ideas. We started digging into that. That was the starting point. And now could you talk a little bit for people that aren't immersed in this world, can you talk a little bit about what citations are in the research world? Absolutely. So the best way to think about it is when you write a document and you are building on or referring to a pre-existing body of work. You have to give them their due. Right. So that's where you source them, or in the research world, it's called citing them. And that is a very good indicator, at least within the research community, that is considered a good indicator of the impact of your idea. Because if many people are citing you in their work and building on your idea, then you can claim that your idea is having a big impact. So the more forward citations. That's what it's called. The more people that cite you and your work in the future, that's called forward citations. The more forward citations you have, the more impactful your work is considered to be. So in this paper, you analyzed 5.3 million research publications that were put out between 1970 and 1999. How did you take that huge data set and analyze it? Uh, Yeah, this was the entire corpus uh, in the, the life sciences. So we just went to the PubMed database, which had this, and it was a, it's a little bit of a data wrestling match that was involved. And because we had to do a fair bit of um, juggling with this data, it's not just we take it in assets and we can run analyses on it. We actually had to create a few variables, which took those 5.3 million documents. And in each of those documents, identified the areas that it covered and then found all the combinations of the areas as well. So all of a sudden, the complexity is blowing up. So we're dealing with billions and hundreds of billions of combinations. So yeah, uh, some computers broke down. (laughs) We had to come up with a bit new, uh, clever ways of, let's say, handling this big data. So it was kind of fun. Now, when you were looking at the data, I mean, did you have an idea of what you were looking for? Or how did you kind of isolate these different factors to kind of determine how breakthroughs were spreading or what might be hindering certain ideas from moving and spreading? So a couple of things on the front. One is 
based on the intuition of having done research and having seen some ideas go through and some ideas not go through, we had a rough sense that this notion that ideas compete for the attention of researchers, that was an important thing, but that hadn't received much attention uh, in the literature so far. That coupled with our prior work in the similar space on there, there are these things called simultaneous discoveries where the same idea or breakthrough happens at, at multiple locations, like multiple research teams come up with the same idea at the same time. There are some, uh, some other st- uh, really good studies which have studied that. And from there, we know that, yeah, if the idea tended to happen in an area that people had already been doing a lot of work in, it might get lost in the crowd. While if this was in a relatively uncrowded area, it got picked up, right? So that was uh, as an indicator, like, oh, that might be something to look for. Now, I know in your paper you cited one example where it was sort of they, they found something, but mm-hmm. one, based on the matter they used to find it, like one got a lot of attention exactly. and one didn't get as much. So, mm-hmm. And I think there was a potato involved somehow. There was a potato and there was a worm too. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah so this is kind of a modern classic in the, the simultaneous discovery literature that I was telling you about just now. In the early 90s, there were a few teams trying to study RNA interference in gene sl- silencing. So there was a big discovery where the trigger mechanism to RNA interference of gene slicing was discovered, of gene silencing was discovered. Two teams came up with the idea simultaneously. One, as you said, was studying potatoes. And in that area, the teams had been looking for similar things for a while, right? So there was already a lot of publications in the keyword areas that that domain already looked at. While the other team was studying the worm called C. elegans as their model, and in the animal research world, this was not something that a lot of people had been studying. So one was a crowded space, while the other one was not, but the same breakthrough at at the deep conceptual level is the same idea, happened simultaneously in both places. Because the plant space was so crowded, the idea did not get picked up as much, Animal space gets picked up, gets a lot of hype, ends up winning the Nobel Prize in the in the 2000s. Big deal. So worm beat potato. Worm beat potato. That's right. So could you explain the two key effects that you found in this paper? Absolutely. So there are two main channels or biases, if you would, that we are empirically demonstrating. One is bias against novelty which the prior literature has already done a pretty good job of finding, we replicate those findings. And here the idea is that the more novel or unusual a certain idea is, as reflected by how unusual a combination of ideas that topic is, the less likely it is to be picked up by somebody because it doesn't conform to paradigms, right? And then it gets dropped away. So that's the bias against novelty perspective. We replicate that finding from prior literature. The other one is what we call the competition for attention view, which is the notion that if you come out and publish in areas that are already very crowded, there are a lot of other researchers working on those topics, then somebody who is looking for your paper 
will be will be swimming in a lot more other papers that they need to search through, and thus the odds of picking you are lower, and your their at their attention is now split in many different ways. So your paper has to fight or compete for that researcher's attention. And that's the second bias, which is if you publish in an area that is already very crowded, the odds of your ideas getting picked up are much lower. Now, you, as you said, you had, some, you had some inkling that maybe competing for attention and novelty might have something going on here. But were there any findings once you looked at this data set that really surprised you? Yeah. So... So a bit of background, we're not by far the first to study the spread of ideas, but a lot of the attention so far has gone into how the novelty of an idea affects the spread of ideas, okay? And the idea there is there's this concept called the bias against novelty. We all love to claim that, oh, really novel combinations of ideas, they are wonderful, that's where breakthroughs come from. True in the creation of the breakthrough. But in terms of the spread of the breakthrough, if it is a bit too out there, if it's a bit too novel, it actually gets discounted. It's The chances of it getting recognized and spreading actually decrease if it is too novel. And there's some really good work which has uh, studied that. But what was not studied was the attention view. And why this is interesting, why this is a bit surprising for us, is if you think about it, at a surface level, you can think about novelty and attention, like the crowdedness of a space as literally the opposites of each other. But we actually splice it apart. We think of novelty as combinations of ideas. So if you see really weird or rare combinations of ideas in a paper, then that would be considered a highly novel paper. On the other hand, crowdedness of a field we proxy for by how many times each of the keywords is being used at the individual level, meaning if there's a lot of chatter on a certain topic, that's a crowded area versus not. Once you splice these apart, what was surprising is that both effects simultaneously held. You had on the one hand, this bias against novelty coming through very strongly. But on the other hand, you also have this crowding out effect of ideas also happening simultaneously and being very strong as well. Like to the to the extent that if on average a topic had 10,000 more citations, uh, so, uh, people talking about that topic, the likelihood of you popping up in the top 1% impactful papers or even the likelihood of you getting citations dropped by over 10%. Like big effect sizes in both effects simultaneously. That was a bit surprising, yeah. So now what does this mean for the research and development space? Because obviously everybody can't decide to do something that is either, you know, everybody can't decide to focus their research on something that's going to sort of not get in the way of these two effects, which means you have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So what do we do? I mean, does this mean a lot of potential breakthroughs are just getting ignored because of these two effects? Absolutely. It's a great question. So some of the ways we try to think about that question is one look, these effects are there. This is part of human nature and the sociology of research, like how we do research, at least as of now. But as you said, that also implies there might be really good ideas that are already out there that have just not been picked up. And perhaps both these biases in combination could give us some sort of a compass, some sort of a map 
to then go look, okay, what areas would these effects, these biases have been strongest in? Now, that might give us some hint as to where to go and look for previously published papers that have just not been picked up yet. So there's a lot of arbitrage, if you would, to be had in that way. Another way that we thought about it is, yes, first be aware of the biases. And then maybe with all the advancements we're making in AI these days, perhaps we can complement our search and recognition capabilities of researchers with some AI tools that can help beef up on our weaknesses. Right? So being aware of the weaknesses might help us build some tools that can help us at least, you know, reduce, if not overcome, those weaknesses. Now, are there also lessons here for policymakers? Mm-hmm. I mean, anybody that is allocating funding to different ideas or different research lines? Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's a bit tricky, right? Because usually, if you're, say, NIH, in our case, and the health space, or more broadly, where would you want to allocate a bunch of research and a bunch of resources? It would be where a lot of the excitement seems to be. And that would imply that would be in some of the more crowded areas, while the backwaters will not get much uh, much money, much funding. Now, now put yourself in the shoes of a young researcher who's trying to decide where should I go into, what direction should I go. Well, the crowded areas have a lot of money. <laughs> On the other hand, the odds of my ideas getting picked up might be lower. Right. Hmm. That's a tough place to be, right? So perhaps being aware of these biases and effects might help us to spread out the research dollars a bit better so that that hard choice can be avoided. Then maybe perhaps. I shouldn't ignore these more novel ideas or maybe I should be drilling down further in these spaces that are very crowded to find some things that aren't always getting noticed. Exactly. There's a caveat there, though, which is that we also find that if you publish in areas that are not very crowded, yes, the odds, the mean effect of you becoming a blockbuster paper are higher. But on the other hand, the variance is also high, meaning the risk goes up. So there's a risk-reward trade-off. If you go into those less crowded areas, you have a higher chance of hitting a home run. On the other hand, you also have a higher risk of just completely flopping too. So again, something to think about. Now, in the end, this paper is really about the spread of ideas. Mm -hmm. So are there also applications here for, say, marketers when Mm -hmm. they're trying to understand how consumers make decisions? Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. In fact, some of the work that we build on and where we drew some of these ideas um, are actually from the marketing space as well and consumer psychology, where they have been really thinking deeply about attention, consumer attention for a long time. And we know that these effects exist. And hopefully we can now bring together that line of research, which is focused a lot on the competition for attention and less usually on the bias against novelty, which has more been in the domain of scientific research and perhaps bring the two together and that way contribute back into the marketing literature as well, maybe. So I, I, that, I guess that's one possible future line for the research. Are there other future lines that you plan to explore? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. We kind of thought about this paper as a first foray just to demonstrate that this other channel also exists called competition for attention. Spread of ideas is not just affected by novelty, but there's at least this one more thing. But there could be other things that we don't know about yet. Other things we also found which were interesting is that this 
the effect of this crowding out or the competition for attention effect, its potency actually changes over time. It is much more of a problem in the first few years that a paper comes out. But by the time you're 15 years out, that effect starts to wind down. Because I guess because the quality of the ideas really started to come through anyway, so you don't need to rely on these other, uh, the other channels. But that would be a, an interesting area to think through and get more detailed data on, like how these effects change dynamically over time. And also, as you said, we have on the one hand the bias against novelty, on the other hand, you have the competition for attention. How do the relative weights of these two effects, because in some ways one drives in the other direction, right? Like, are, they, are the relative effects more significant early on in the life cycle of an idea? Or, I mean, when an idea matures, will one effect start to dominate the other effect? Those would be very interesting, at least for us, areas to try to probe further into. Anoop, thanks so much for being with us. Absolutely, Rachel. My pleasure. You can find all of Knowledge at Wharton's articles, podcasts, and more on our website, which is knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. The Knowledge at Wharton podcast is on Apple's podcasting app, Stitcher, and your other favorite podcast app. If you like what you hear, please leave us a rating or a review. It really does help like-minded folks to find the show. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 